1: Great! Have you lost weight? Thanks, Jess. <laughs> you don't usually say such nice things to me. I feel I always really say nice things to you. Mm, I don't know. Jury's out on that one. Oh, mate. Speaking of jury, oh my god. Last time. <laughs> last time. Last this time. Last time. I don't. Mm? Ah! Anyway, this time. <laughs> oh, my god, what am I doing? It's one minute and thirty seconds in. We've already I know, lost the I've plot, and I've already fucked it. Anyway, last time on Murder in the Land of Oz, That's right. There we go. We were talking about Alison Baden-Clay. Yes, we got up to the end of the trial. End of the trial. Of Gerard Baden-Clay. Wasn't that a long episode, folks? It was such a thank you for listening. I hope everybody had to do a really Stuck long around. drive. Yeah, or like had to have a bath. Yeah, or like and deep then clean the your house. Head? Yeah. Yes. It's great deep cleaning I love, content, I think. I do that. I put my headphones in and then I do a, like smart vacuum. Really get into the crevices in my kitchen. Mm. Yeah. Mm. We're nice. nodding and agreeing. We're nodding <laughs> and agreeing. In my brain, I'm going smart vacuum. <laughs> smart vacuum. I only stupid vacuum. Oh, well. I'm sorry. Also, I Not if you never live vacu- in Jason my house.
0: house. Oh,
1: it's all smart vacuuming all, all the time. Anyway, I hope time. everybody has a clean kitchen and has enjoyed listening to the first episode of Murder in the Land of Oz. Sane's face. (laughs) He's like, what the fuck are they talking about? Anyway, part two. So we're at the end of the trial. We're at the end of the trial. I thought I would do a quick sum up of the main points of the trial. So where we left off, Gerard Baden-Clay had just testified for four days about Basically, the entirety of he and Alison's relationship and about, you know, the night in question. obviously and the fact he didn't, that he didn't do it. Yes, he was a very, very innocent man in his own eyes. So then, obviously, he testifies. A few other um, people also testified. It was more forensics and stuff like that. It was more, more of the same. Um, so then the Crown and the defence summed up. So basically... In a nutshell, the crown's case is that Baden Clay killed Allison somehow, and transported her transported her body in the captiva to the Collar Creek Bridge, where he deposited her. Their evidence, um, basically in sum up, is scratches on the face, the fact that he po- plugged in his iPhone at one forty eight a.m. when he said that he was asleep, um, her blood obviously being found in the captiva, and of course the botanical evidence by. Dr. Gordon Badass Geimer. Hashtag Botany Solves Murders. Botany Solves Murders. Um, and then the defense's case, not the strongest, um, not that we're biased or have a preconceived no, idea. of Not
0: at all. Yeah. No, um, but
1: the defense's case was kind of that Jared didn't do it and that Allison had either wandered off and died... What? Somehow or committed suicide. Mm. Um, They spoke about the levels of cetraline in her system and also the levels of alcohol, which both of which um, different forensic experts testified were increased by the natural processes that the body goes to. Through decomposition. Through through decomposition. Always a fun topic to talk about. Mm, The most. Um, And also, you know, to that point, an exhaustive list of psychiatrists. That Allison had seen throughout the years basically said she wasn't suicidal. She'd been on antidepressants for like thirteen years, so it's very unlikely that she would have had. You it's know, not like she like switched. No, no, no. She'd, she'd been, been on, she'd been on maintained medication for a while for a so while. So those risks were
0: the risks low. were
1: non-existent. Yeah, well, not non-existent, but low, but low. Um. So that was basically the defense's case. I also wanted to mention a little. Piece of evidence that I don't think we talked about last week, mm. which was um, when uh, old mate Jared was being cross-examined by Todd Fuller for the Crown, um, as I said last time, he was very kind of snappy and trying to quip and kind of one-up and everything like that, Petey. He did get very, very angry and upset when Todd Fuller implied, he asked, you know, and you left your kids home alone so you could transport, you know, her body to the creek basically. and. Jared was like, how dare you imply that I would leave my kids alone at night? And Toad was like, you're on trial for murdering your wife. Why are you getting so obsessed about that? Mm. Um, and I just wanted to just mention as well that they found a baby monitor in one of the kids' rooms. Ah. So that kind of explains that issue of how, like, I know, like when you read about the case or if you go on the web sleuths or anything like that, it's like, how could he have done it like what luck that those three children did not wake up at any point in the night yeah you know there was no issues at home like that really helped him but he had a baby monitor in one of the kids rooms which is a technique that he had used in the past with allison when during that period of time when he had lost his job and he was trading stocks in the shed he would leave a baby monitor to hear what she was to hear the conversations yeah, that she was having with her family so it's kind of yeah, a bit of evidence, Ooh, that bit of is evidence so there. Creepy. It is very creepy. I thought it was important to mention Ooh. because I think I think if you were going to be the devil's avocado
0: and avocado? saying avocado,
1: yeah, what? the devil, the devil's advocate. No, I I know that phrase, but what does the devil's avocado mean? It's just like a zesty millennial version of the devil's advocate, I guess. Jesus Christ! If one was to be the devil's avocado in this case and say, well, like you know, how did he? leave his kids at home. That's how he left a baby monitor there and also got very lucky. Mm. Um, So I also, I think I mentioned this last time, but the defense did kind of try and take murder off the table during the initial judge trial, the first trial, they did say, hey, the crown kind of has no case for murder here. We want to bump it down to manslaughter. Man's and the trial but judge But at that point he hadn't admitted that anything had happened, had he? No, this no. is this is I believe this was after he testified before the rest of it and everything like that. They right. went for a for a no case submission, I believe it is called in legalese, but I'm probably Ooh. wrong because I don't know a lot of legal terminology. Um and the trial judge basically they went, hey, uh he didn't murder her. You can't prove intent. We want manslaughter on the table. The judge kind of went, mm, you know what? I think that's for the jury to decide because this is a case. Yeah. I'm reinstating this point because it comes important later on when we are talking about the appeal. Mm. So um, murder is still on the table. Everybody, Jared said his piece. Um, the oh, jury. sorry. It was our 15th wedding anniversary. It was our 15th wedding anniversary. Uh. The jury now has to reach a verdict. That's how trials work. Um, and they actually they struggled to reach a verdict. It took four days, I believe, of wow. debating, which I understand because to us, who to are, us it seems plain as day. To them, with you know, however long, how long was the actual trial? Can you give me days? I can't give you dates because it's in my other notes. But it was about three and a half weeks, I think. Or Could four you imagine weeks. like getting? I mean, I'm indecisive at the best of times, but like. Being berated with information from two sides yeah, and then having to actually, like, you'd be mind fucked. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of information that is hard to process. And especially when they're putting experts up in front of you. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, of course, this chemical, that, date time, this. I'd be like, um, can you say that in a way that a stupid person could understand? Not that I'm stupid, but if I was hypothetically stupid. Yeah. And that's what I kind of like, you know, on, um shows like The Good Wife and Law and Order when they get those, like, experts in for the jury mm. and they're, like – and then, the de, like, the the defence or um, the public defender is, like, you need to kind of, like, dumb that down. In layman's terms. In layman's terms, Can please? you put that in layman's terms for the jury? In layman's terms. And my favourite um, – just a bit of a musical theatre reference on The Good Wife, Norbert Leo Butts, the oh, guy nice. who played Jamie in the um, last five years, he and plays – And also Hierro in Wicked. Oh. Name drop. Um he plays like a he plays like a jury expert in like reading the jury. Oh my god. In being able to tell whether or not they're for or against the defense. He's the bull. Have yeah. you watched that show Bull with no, the guy I from NCIS? Oh my god, the worst show that Is has... he from NCIS? Yeah. What's his name? He's mean? just got glasses on that makes He's got so glasses much on. Sense. I know. Everybody said that Clark Kent couldn't disguise himself as Superman just with those glasses, but, but man, the guy go. from NCIS looks different with glasses glasses. okay anyway anyway we digress digress um so yes the jury did struggle to reach a verdict there was a lot of discussion and some um requests from the jury to like clarify a few things one of them being the difference between murder and manslaughter Manslaughter. which again murder Intent. intent manslaughter no accidental accidental no intent um and it i think Another thing that the judge stressed in his summing up to the jury was the kind of nature of a circumstantial trial. So, you know, this case was a circumstantial case. Nobody saw Jared Baden-Clay with like a bloody knife or whatever. It's all to do with the circumstances of the trial, what inferences you can make and what leads you to a conclusion. So the judge did stress that, you know, in order to find Jared Baden-Clay guilty of murder – it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be just the most likely option. It has to be the only conclusion you can reach from the circumstances given. Right. After four days of debating, the jury did indeed reach that verdict. Found him guilty. And they found him guilty of murder. Um, and thank goodness they did. Thank Jesus. I love that... Um. The, cause all of Allison's family did make statements, yes, the victim impact statements, yes, which I think are quite important, yes, but absolutely th- they're they're an important in a trial, and to be honest, it would be i'm I'm sure Jared Bandenclay if he was remorseful in any way, shape or form, but Alison's um, huh. Allison's dad, Jeff, he's such a hero. I love him, but I've just got a few like snippets mm-hmm. of it, and he was like she was convinced that she wasn't adequate, which I think is, like, so prevalent in looking at this case. Like, he made her feel so insignificant and unimportant. I know, unimportant. and that there was something wrong with her, yeah. you know, that she wasn't doing what, you know, her duty as a wife or whatever to keep him interested yeah. when he was off sleeping with every real estate agent mm. in Western Queensland. She, and, like, that she'd worked hard to save their marriage mm. because she she did wanted to maintain her family for her children, which – you know some people can argue against but it's just some, that's what she thought was the exactly right thing that's to what do. she thought was the right thing she wanted to make it work and he paid like lip service to making it work but he and that really didn't jeff said that Allison had paid the ultimate price for that and then he says something that broke my heart he was like i gave you permission to marry my daughter i didn't give you permission to kill her i wrote that down as well betray her i believe betray was the her. term to betray her because i think he betrayed her and more ways than just killing oh, her. Oh, than killing her, definitely. He betrayed her constantly. And he I, cheated I, on her. He disrespected her. I couldn't imagine, like, being Alison's parents at this trial. I mean, of course, their child was murdered, which is dreadful. But then having to hear, like, this man that, you know, That you was accepted married, into your family. That you accepted into your family that you in trusted. some way, shape, or form. And he's betrayed your daughter so many times with so many different people and the fact that she tried so hard. I know. It's not fair. It's not fair. So at he all. got a life sentence. He did. The judge sentenced him to life in prison. Which was good. Yes. The right decision. Not according to Jared Baden Clay. No. Obviously. Or mm. Jared Baden Clay's legal time. A lot of times in murder they appeal. cases, they appeal straight away, obviously. Um that's a good thing. That's a good part of our legal system that yeah. you can appeal. Um Most people were like yeah, well, I was going to go nowhere. Like yeah. the trial was pretty good. You know, nobody had any legal experts, didn't have any glaring issues with anything. Um, but no, they took it to appeal. The defense team was the same, Michael Copley and Michael Byrne. Um, they started their court of appeal application by pointing out a few errors that Justice Byrne had made, errors that they perceived that he had made in the summing up to the jury, thinking that things were a little bit too leading. Right. And, you know. Um the Court of Appeal judges were kind of like, mm, next. Swiping left on that argument. What's next? Um and their main argument again was that the prosecution didn't prove intent. They right. didn't prove that Jared intended to murder. Prove that he killed her,
0: but not that he meant
1: yes. He. So uh Jared's lawyer, Michael Copley, raised a scenario that said, look, you can't rule out the fact that maybe Alison lashed out at Jared, scratched him in the face, and in him trying to defend himself, he unintentionally killed her and then stashed her body under a bridge in a moment of panic. Um, Which, I don't know. I mean, you if can't he, rule it out because anything's possible. Out, but the thing that, like, bugs me about this appeal is the fact that up until that point, he hadn't admitted that he had done anything. Yes. How can you, like, I'm. that's what I'm confused about. And people write in... Baby lawyer Britt, who I work with Feel free to l- give me a message on she this She doesn't need to write in Because I have plenty of lawyer facts coming up later um, in the episode Well yeah the, Well no she doesn't really, no, that's, a, that's true But I just don't understand And maybe you can explain this to me Is like how you can appeal on the grounds of it being manslaughter When you haven't even admitted to hurting her in the first place You can't Spoilers for what happens <gasps> in the rest of the episode But you uh, can't um, Anyway Okay so that, that was Sorry. his argument. Um, yes. Yeah, so they, in fact, said not that we're saying that this is what happened, but this could have happened. It's a reasonable hypothesis right. that you so could draw. So they're just trying to make reasonable doubt. Is that what they would? But the jury, I don't know. Basically, they're so trying rubbish. to say that the jury could not find him guilty of murder beyond a reasonable, reasonable doubt, doubt because intent was not established. Right. That there were right. other potential hypotheses that could be drawn from the circumstances of Allison's death. Mm-hmm. So as I said before, you know, Justice Byrne said it has to be the only reasonable hypothesis you can draw from these circumstances. Yeah. The defense's case in the Court of Appeal is that you can draw other, other hypotheses, hypotheses, which isn't incorrect, but it's also not correct. Um. So yeah, Jared, Jared did testify and say that he had nothing to do with the murder, didn't know anything about it. So, you know, he came up with this explanation as a bit of a Hail Mary. Um, the public opinion was that it was a last-ditch attempt to not spend the rest of your life in yeah. prison. Nobody really thought that the Court of Appeal would overturn the murder conviction, but overturn the murder conviction they did, they did, and they re-sentenced Jared to manslaughter. manslaughter. So that... Would mean that he would be released the following year. Well, he was planning to put an application for like time served basically, right? And be like, I should get out. At that point, he'd He'd been been in jail jail for for a couple of years at this point. Um, yeah, so he wanted to be immediately released. One of the reasons that he cited for immediate release, like reasons for immediate release, was unfair treatment in the press. You killed your wife, son. You killed your wife. Sorry. Um, so at that point, that was when. Everybody freaked out. Everybody freaked out. This case, like as we said last episode, the media coverage was insane. Mm. Um, on a level that, you know, Daniel Morcom trial before that, yes, but like it was a very, very high level of public interest in this case. Yeah. That public was now furious that somebody who had been sentenced to murder was now likely My to most, be released. Like distinct memory of that point was when current affair. Did like a segment on it and they went around and they interviewed people in Brisbane going like, what do you think of him Mm. successfully appealing? And they were like, I am fucking terrified that if I get killed by somebody, he's just going to get away with it or he's going to say, I accidentally did it. Or that, you know, anybody who goes through the trial process, you know, can have a court of appeal basically be like, we don't agree with the jury. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, even though these people deliberated for four days and sat through three and a half weeks of testimony yeah, exactly. by yeah. witnesses and exactly experts, that was that sorry, was that's the irrelevant. two the two main issues that arose from the appeal was a he's a murderer and he should be in prison, and b it's the jury's job to decide yeah. the outcome of a case or the you know the verdict in a case. It's not mm. another group of judges' job. Like yeah, you know, we have a jury system for, for a, a reason. reason. So lots of people were very angry. Not, lots of people had the resources to do anything about it. Unlike Bevan. one man, Bevan Slattery,
0: Slattery. yay, Bevan Slattery,
1: one hundred and three million dollars worth at nineteen ninety one. Wow, that you just you didn't even read that you just knew that. That's because I reread this part earlier today in nice. David Murray's excellent book, The Murder, the Murder of, of Alison Alice and Baden and Clay. And Clay. Plug. Go to Dimmick's. Yes, get it is, is at Dimix. You can get it, you can get it at Dimix. You can get it at Big W too. Let's support D-Mix. D-Mix. They're the only one that we have left. I shout out to my gal Eleanor who works at Dimix. She suggested a really great book which I will talk about at the end of this episode. Nice. Um yes, Bevan Slattery is a technology entrepreneur. Oh. I read his Wikipedia page yeah. and I didn't understand a single, single word of it. Fucking word. <laughs> Telecommunications wires Something. Infrastructure. Anyway. Businesses, businesses, businesses. He has a lot of money. His daughter went to dance school with Allison. Yes, yes. Her, her, yes. His daughter went to dance with Allison. Allison's daughters, wasn't it? I thought it was Alison. Hold on. I'm getting I'm getting back to David. Yeah, her, no, his daughters went to the same dance school as Alison Baden Clay's daughters. Oh um, and she was friend Alison Baden Clay was friends with Bevan Slattery's wife. Uh, yes so, no you are right slattery's daughters I went know, to the same brisbane it. west End school as allison's daughters yes cool. so he was angry he had money to do something about it he spoke to one of allison's friends nicole, nicole morrison, morrison and basically said hey we need to do something we need to give the public a way to demonstrate how they're feeling how about a rally i can't believe i didn't go i feel like we were teens at the time that's true um So they held a rally in King George Square. And, like, some lawyers were getting real mad about it. Some lawyers got real mad. Some lawyers were basically like, people don't know anything about the law. And they were all like. like, But people can be mad that a fucking murderer is about to get off. I think people's knowledge of justice in the legal system is a lot better than certainly the lawyers who commented about the court of appeal. Oh, definitely. What was the. Here we go. This is a quote from. Terry O'Gorman, and this is what he told news.com.au. You do not have a murder case or any other case decided by who can yell out the loudest in the media or otherwise about their disagreement with the verdict. The verdict was handed down according to the law of the land and those who don't like it have to cop it because that is the law. Incorrect. Incorrect. Laws get changed on the reg. the fucking time. Anyway, uh, yes, Bevan Slattery, Organised Rally, King George Square. Um... My probably my favorite part of the entirety of David Murray's book was when he described King George Square as a barren concrete wasteland, seemingly designed to prevent anybody from lingering there. That is King George Square. It's the most depressing place Unless on earth. Unless you go to the delightful Twilight Markets on a Friday evening, then, then not it's been... not so barren. I've not been. I don't support my local community. Oh, <laughs> I'm a witch. Anyway,
0: <laughs> so they were organising this
1: protest. This is um, in December. <laughs> yes, the 18th of December. And, yes, 2015? Yes. Um, they were a bit nervy about how many people were going to show up because it was like probably 41 degrees knowing Brisbane in December. Yeah. Um, it was a week till Christmas. People were like – And it was hot. It was like 28 plus like a lot of humidity. Do Especially, you know that it was 28? Did you know That's Google what it, it says in the thing. Oh, stop reading the book. I have notes. I said it was 41. Now people are going to know that I made that up. I'm sorry. Um so yeah, they were a bit nervous about how many people were going to come, but 4,000 people rocked up. Yes. Lisa Wilkinson from the Today show stopped All Hail Queen. Queen Lisa. Lisa. Um now on the project, I believe. Yes, yeah, she is because of that pay dispute. Good on her. Well, um she's canceled some other incredibly important and news she was like nope, they go to MC the event cuz that her with um her uh, Alison's cousin, Jan. Yeah. And then there was the domestic violence episode, um, expert that was from Griffith. Because mm. that was the morning the appeal had gone through. Mm. And Lisa was pissed. She was not having it. She was, like, not fucking having it. And, I mean, good for her. Because, like, she's got a profile and, yeah. you know. She was using good her voice for good. the good. So, Lisa evil. Wilkinson was there. Allison's family was there, obviously. Bruce and Denise Morecambe, the parents of wow. Daniel Morecambe, were there. Um. And so were like 4,000 ordinary people. That were just really mad about it. Yes. There were lots of victims of domestic violence who had come to, you know, show their support and basically be like, you know, domestic abusers should be in prison. Yeah. Um, controversial. But I think people who abuse and murder their wives should be in prison. What do you think? Most Jane? definitely. Yeah. Um I thought it was also because, like, um, Slattery was good friends with Malcolm Turnbull at the time. Who yes, this is very interesting. He'd literally just become prime minister, and, um, Malcolm Turnbull and his wife Lucy were going to do a message, but, um, I don't know. The they Chief, decided not to the because... The Justice had made some comments Yeah, there or was some legal gathering a couple of weeks before where a whole bunch of hoity-doity judges and legal folks made some disparaging comments about the people who were planning on organising yeah. against the verdict. And so Slattery basically said, hey, I think you'll get a bit of a bad yeah. response if you do something like that. But then he spoke to the opposition leader, Bill. Yes, Shorten, Bill Shorten. And his wife, Chloe. Came through. And it turns out that Chloe knew... Um, Allison. Chloe knew Alison. Because I didn't realize, was when was Bill Shorten here? In Queensland? Yeah. I don't know. At don't some know. point in his anyway. life, I'm sure. Well, when, um, Chloe's children and Alison's children, I guess, were at kindergarten. Yeah. Um, but Chloe had had a school friend that was strangled by a partner almost 20 years early, earlier. Yeah. So I had, you know, obviously taken that to heart because, I don't know, something about women caring about women, which is... Fucking cool sometimes, you know. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So the rally was a big success. It got a lot of coverage, a lot of media, national media coverage. Um, At the same time, Nicole Morris, not Nicole Morrison, uh, Nicole Morris, who is the runner of the Australian Missing Persons Register. If you're an Australian true crime weirdo, and not saying that I've ever done this, but, you know, stayed up till two, three o'clock in the morning reading the descriptions of the various missing You're persons. You're joking me. Oh, it's my hobby. It's my pastime. Right. No, it's terrifying. It. I used to watch that missing persons show, though, mm. when they'd go, like, they'd film, like, police officers going look for the missing persons. There are thousands of shows with that plot. Oh. It's so sad. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, The Australian... Side plug for the Australian Missing Persons Register. It's a non-profit organisation and it's very important. Australia only quite recently got a nationalised missing persons service. So, you know, it's it's very important to keep the names and faces of missing people missing in, people in the, the limelight. So Nicole Morris has spent her whole life, you know. That's amazing. She's an amazing person. Um, I was very surprised to see her name come up in this book because I was like, this lady who runs that website that I freak myself out reading late (laughs) at night um so she uh organized a petition calling for a high court appeal of the decision and it got 120,000 signatures she printed it off and sent it to the attorney general it was 3,200 pages long Uh, so 3,200 pages worth of people plus everybody who rallied plus everybody else in australia i'm pretty sure i signed that I think I signed it. I definitely remember it going around on Facebook if I didn't sign it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, obviously, a lot of people wanted this. Uh, It was a long shot getting the high court involved. I think I read five. the high court hears 5% of the cases that are brought to it. 5%, which is insane. But this was one of the 5%. So, they agreed to hear the case. Um, So, we have now the third trial. In the Alison Baden Clay saga, I feel terrible for her family having to go through. Oh, you know, it's one like I really want to meet Jeff and Priscilla and just give them a big old like cuddle. a cup of tea and a biscuit. Yeah, I'll give her one of the royal biscuits that we're eating that at we're the moment. currently eating. They're delightful. professional. Um, so uh, the Crown Legal team changed a little bit. We have the fantastically named Walter Sofranoff. Oh, For the crown. Fantastic name. Very eccentric, Harley riding lawyer who is a very, very respected silk. They use the term silk for fancy lawyers. I like that. Silk. Silk. Um, Jared's legal team remained the same. Um, All the transcripts of the high court appeal are available online. I recommend reading it if you can understand legalese because they're incredibly interesting and Mm. I'm stupid so I can't sum them up in the kind of – you know, give them the but weight and are, depth uh, that they, they deserve, are but they're available. so, so you just yeah. Jared Baden Clay. Appeal. We'll have I think links it's like in the show awful. notes, actually. Oh, great. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. We have show notes. We have show notes. Ew. So there are three main points with the Court of Appeals decision. So, firstly, the Court of Appeal concluded that there was no evidence of motive. Secondly, that the court said that post offense conduct on behalf of Jared Baden Clay was neutral as to the issue of intent. And thirdly, that the court led itself to believe that the evidence supported a hypothesis of manslaughter. I copied and pasted that if you couldn't tell from how awkwardly <laughs> worded it was. Um, so, firstly, the issue of motive. So Sofronov's argument, just as the prosecution's so argument... He, that was at, the crown. Yes, the yes, crown. crown. Yep. Um, staying the same. Obviously, Jerry Badenclay had motive upon motive to murder. Definitely, baden clay. The affair motive. with Tony McHugh, the financial pressures, um, the fact that they were going to face each other the next day at the real yeah. estate conference. There's not a lot of differences, you know, in terms of their arguments. No. Um, he used uh, as precedent a case from 1963, Plump versus the Queen. Plump. Plump. What a great name. Plump. Versus um, so. The essence of that is that a guy called Plump and his wife go swimming in the ocean. The wife supposedly drowns and Plump tries to save her. (gasps) Was this in Cairns? I don't know. It was in Queensland. Yeah. Um, So, yes, this woman seemingly dies of an accident. But upon investigation, they find out that Plump was having an affair with another woman, had... Spoken about his wife in the past tense or spoken about her being deceased prior to the accident. And this kind of evidence was used to establish the fact that he had a motive to kill her. Mm. So, once again, a circumstantial case, wife dies, nobody sees really what happens. It's one guy's word against another's. He says that he has nothing to do with it, but the circumstances of that murder lead the jury to con- convict him. Convict him yep. as guilty. So that, obviously, the links to Jared's case are pretty clear. Definitely. So his commitment to Tony McHugh that he would be separated from his wife by July 1st, you know. The fact that she wasn't even confirmed dead and then having to...
0: Yeah, exactly. the
1: life insurance people yes, out of but obligation. but that wasn't relied on by the prosecution. None of the information about the life insurance issues were Was- ever used by the prosecution in the initial trial. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well... I was just going oh, to say something. About- Sorry, <laughs> I thought you were beginning a sentence, not no, finishing one. Um, I went off. Yes, yeah, so basically, the crown is saying the court of appeal made a huge mistake, saying that there was no motive for Jared to kill Allison. Mm. Um, he said, as the prosecution said in the initial trial, his. Intention to kill Allison was formed that day. He wasn't necessarily. It wasn't like premeditated pre-meditating. like 5 years in advance. He didn't have a room with pictures and string, you know, planning like the perfect murder. He had formed basically when faced with the issue of Tony and Allison finally meeting, his decision was, well, I'll kill Allison. That's how yes. I'll get out of that pickle. Mm. Um He said that the Court of Appeal viewed the evidence piece by piece and responded to the strength of the evidence piece by piece instead of looking at the whole. Looking at the whole picture. Again, in a circumstantial case, it's the whole picture that has to be looked at in order to get the story. Yeah. Um, When it comes to post evidence conduct, the Crown argued that Jared's actions after the murder. His uh, weird attempt to like corroborate his story with his daughter by asking him to put band-aids on his scratches. Still creeps me um, up to The this fact day. that he like scratched the scratches further with a razor blade to make them look more like actual razor blade cuts. Mm. Um, the fact that he pretended not to know where Allison's body was the entire time people were looking for her. Um, it's a bit shady as shit, mate. Bit shady. It, it demonstrated that he was capable of murder. Oh. Um, this point is emphasized basically to say that if he had killed Alison accidentally, he wouldn't have acted as, as suspiciously as he did. Yes. somebody who accidentally murders—well, you can't accidentally—somebody who manslaughters their wife would probably like call an ambulance or like cry. You know, like Jared didn't the do that. Guy. Don't bring up the staircase. Okay. Um. So yes, post she defense conduct. Shut me down. One matter at a time. Okay. So <laughs> yes. So in the Court of Appeal, the Court of Appeal judges basically said, We don't find his conduct afterwards, that's suspicious. It doesn't it doesn't prove anything, really. Were you blind and deaf? Yeah. And t- turning the other way? Or do you just not know how people should react in situations? Yeah. Why are smart people so dumb so times sometimes? I don't get it. I don't know. I don't get it. Um and so the third point is the point that you brought up earlier, and I tried to rush us all along Sorry. so I could talk about it. Sorry. The evidence didn't support an accidental death, and the defense's case relied on the fact that Jared had no information or knowledge about his wife's death. So the Court of Appeal basically went, well, it's possible she died of an accident, so that's what happened. But off for the Crown basically said, well, yeah, like anything's possible, but Nothing in the case led the jury to consider an accidental death. There was no inferences that it was accidental. Jared never said it was accidental. She didn't have wounds that would um, like immediately make you like go like she was murdered. Oh, no. But the, the Court of I Appeal switched. were like, oh, she could have slipped and hit her head and that's how she died. But she had no head injuries. So, you that's know, part, she was part of her head was not able to be examined, um, due to the like decomposition. So there's no there's no evidence that she fell and hit her head. There's no evidence that he, I don't know, whacked her in the back of the head either. So there's no evidence that he murdered her there, but there's no evidence to the contrary either. So it's kind of like the Court of Appeal like forgot some of the basic issues of being a trial. Yeah. Um So yes. This is why I got her to cover this, because she just says it so well. I just said the Court of Appeal Peel basically forgot
0: <laughs> how
1: to be a trial. <laughs> but she just sounds so good doing it. Thank you. It's my cold. It's my sexy, husky, cold voice. You're <laughs> welcome, people. <laughs> um, so, yes, again, as we were saying, as the people were saying, as everybody was saying, you can't sit there for four days and say, I don't know how my wife died. I don't know how she died. And then be like, how she die? Oh. maybe she died accidentally, but I'm not admitting to anything. Sorry. Like, no, no. So that no, is, ma'am. in a nutshell, the Crown's case round two. Yeah. Um. So then on the return, we've got Michael Byrne again. Um, and he basically says, yeah, we didn't make the case that it was an unlawful killing at the time. We said that he was innocent. But because it was a death where the cause of death is unknown, you can't establish intent and call it a murder. Um. To quote the case like a fancy person... All the evidence goes to show that, your honor, there was an argument, then there was arguably a fight. She responded physically towards him and she is dead. That is all the evidence shows. That's the defense's opinion of that. Oh. Um dumb smart people. Yes, and so he argued that just because Jared said that he didn't do it and just because the initial case was played with him being entirely innocent of everything and just because the prosecution said that it was murder doesn't mean that other reasonable hypotheses can't be drawn. But once again, not to like <laughs> beat this horse for the 9,000th time, the jury drew the conclusion that it was murder. Because that's how our courts work. Yes. So, I mean, you could draw a reasonable hypothesis. That, well, you couldn't, but you could draw a reasonable hypothesis that, like, you know, she was struck down by a lightning bolt, but that doesn't make it true. Just because things are possible doesn't, doesn't mean that, that, that it's it happens. The, um, the high court judges. Questioned Burn a lot more, I think, than they questioned Sofronov. They were they were um, very insistent on asking him about the issue of evidence. So you know, Burn's trying to make his case and stuff like that, and just says, and the judges are being like, "Yeah, but there's no evidence that she fell. There's no evidence that that happened." And Michael Burn's like, and "There's also a shit. You know what? Evidence You got me that- there." <laughs> So like the fact that his phone was plugged in after one o'clock, yeah. And the lead exactly. And there's just oh, exactly I get it. they they literally said like, okay, so if that happened, why didn't Jared say that it happened? If there was an altercation, why didn't he say that there was an altercation? He had ample opportunity to present this evidence. He was arrogant and he thought and he could fucking it. get away with it. Yeah. They also mm-hmm. said that like you know it's possible to accidentally kill somebody, but it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to Especially accidentally like, kill someone. I, I know her body was in like a, such a state of decomp that they couldn't ever conclude on how she died. But, you know, for conjecture, I'm going to say, but it, he most probably asphyxiated her, right? That is the generally Yeah, agreed. that's the general hypothesis of how Alison died. She was smothered. She was smothered. So smothering and strangle- like strang- strangling, I can't say that word, they're like, Really hard to do, like it's not an easy way to kill somebody. And I, just, I don't know. The judges, the high court judges, said, you know, if he didn't, how can you accidentally smother somebody? How well, can you acci- exactly? If maybe he didn't intend to murder her, but he intended to, to cause her, her some grievous bodily harm. So the intention there, regardless of the result, is still present. Yeah. So you know, how can he kill her? How can he strike her or push her hard enough to cause her to fall and accidentally die, but not hard enough to prove intention of grievous bodily harm? Like, and if that is what happened, why didn't you ever put this case to the jury? Why did you, you know, again, Jared testified that he didn't do anything. So if he was, aware of the circumstances of his wife's death and then he said that this he wasn't that, like, that's a crime that, called that's perjury. perjury. I thought so. Yes. He's like um misleading like the cause of justice. Like he's, yeah, exactly. he's not
0: yeah, I don't know. He
1: ain't telling the truth. He ain't telling the truth. He's he lying like a bad man. So yes, there are many issues. The High Court picked up on all of these issues. They they definitely questioned Burns Oh, thank God this is in the 5% of cases. Thank God this... Oh, my God, imagine if it didn't. He'd be out. He God. could be selling a house to somebody right now wearing Iron Williams boots and his yellow Century 21 blazer. No, ma'am, Pam. No, ma'am, Pam. He is in prison where he belongs because the High Court ended up supporting the initial verdict of murder. His murder conviction was reinstated. They said that the Court of Appeal had made many errors in the decision-making. Um, they also reaffirmed the importance of the jury mm-hmm. in trials. The jury is, Which is important. important. Um important. Everything that we said, basically, they also said, but smarter and they got paid to do it. Um, that, you know, the Court of Appeal had basically said because it's possible she died accidentally, that that's what happened. But, yeah. you know, you... The court of it's not the court of appeals job to come up with a storyline, no. Especially when that storyline completely conflicts the evidence that was presented in the that trial. was prevented presented in the trial. It's the jury's decision to take that evidence and you know come to a verdict, and that's what they did. The high court ended up reinstating it. The impact of the high court's decision was pretty big and also not big because not big in the sense that nothing changed. There was no like. And now something incredible happened. It was just the law working the way it was always supposed to work. Yeah, it was the court of appeal that made the mistake, and the high court that fixed it. But it had a big impact because it demonstrated that the common folk have have a right to say in what goes on in our country. Exactly, like law is designed to reinforce the community's expectations and the community's, you know, feeling. So if the not that you can the law you know, is here to protect us exactly not here you to can't make torches and pitchforks be like this man should be in jail but no we have the and right as citizens in my opinion I don't think this was a trial by media oh God no he, this was a trial that was you know the covered, media was present. present but by no like she wasn't missing for three hours and they were like oh the husband did it yeah. I don't feel like it was one of those situations, but it's like I don't understand those people's reactions to people getting so upset to the appeal because it's like we're allowed to. Of course. We – I don't know. At the end of the day – I'm saying that a lot at this episode because I'm just so, like, confused by this whole thing. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, even though we might not know anybody involved or anything like that, cases like this do have a huge impact, which we are about to talk about in a second. Definitely. Because, you know, I think – N- not that domestic violence is just about women, but statistics are showing that women are the most highly affected people by domestic violence. Exactly. And the fact that, you know, God forbid something happened to Ellen or I or to one of our friends or, to or friends of our woman. friends or yeah. any other woman ever where something happens with a guy or a girl or whoever – you want and justice to be served and if want you feel justice like justice served anybody, isn't served and that, you know. You get a, angry and you get mad. Exactly. So I'm really proud of the people for caring Definitely. about this because for so long in history, you know, domestic violence or family violence or anything like this was swept under the rug mm. and not talked about and this was talked about in a big way and, and it did actually, you know, it was it was the top part of the wave that has continued to wave towards the shore i don't know where i was going with that metaphor no, i liked it but you know oh i like that domestic <laughs> violence becoming a very talked about issue definitely at and the it, moment and it's something in our country that we have a really big problem with which we will talk about in a second um can so- before we get into the domestic violence thing we touched yeah. on it before but i really want to ask you a question that i haven't asked you in this entire month that we have been researching this case yeah what do you think happened What's your I, What's your hypothesis? What's your reasonable like, hypothesis that you can draw from the evidence? Look, you've asked my opinion. I think that... <laughs> I did ask you. You asked opinion. my opinion. Sorry. I think that um, Jared really freaked out about the next day. I think he probably got a message about some debt that was... Interesting. You know, don't
0: coming up. I not think that up. was part of
1: the evidence, Jess. Oh, well, look, I feel <laughs> like there was something that not only pressured the whole Tony McHugh thing, but I feel like there was a financial pressure, whether he saw like a bank statement or something like that. I think he snapped. Um, I don't think it was premeditated years in advance, but I feel like in that moment when you're really freaking out, I think he, Alison probably said like, she might've said something or I don't know. And he, I think he just took her outside and he, maybe she thought he was trying to be romantic or, and he, strangled her and she fought I kind of feel like I agree with the prosecution in that I don't think it was like premeditated as we said like, no. planned and I, feel like but I, mean, I feel like I feel like it was that, there in his brain that yeah I because he spoke to that woman on the Gold Coast and was like well then can you help me kill my wife yeah I, I mean we probably but, shouldn't just throw that in as an aside we should probably expand on no. that a little bit <laughs> so, um Jared had contacted a lady on the Gold Coast about joining his Century 21 team and she was loyal to the people that she was working with, and she said no. And then he asked her aside, like from the conversation that they were saying, "Oh, well, maybe you can help me out with something else. Maybe you can help me kill my wife." And then just left it at that, and then continued on with the rest of the conversation. And this lady Which was, she like, thought was really weird, I'm but freaked out by this. Yes, but she didn't but report it. Not freaked it. out enough to, go to, to go to the police. So yeah, I don't. I I I feel like. When you're, when you probably when you're Jared and Clay and you're faced with the situation that you are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and then you realize that the next morning your wife and your mistress are going to come face to face at this conference in front of people that you want to impress and that you want to feel important. Then, yeah, he would have freaked out, mm-hmm. and he did something, and he thought he was going to get away with it. Yeah, and he did not. No. Um. And, yeah. Before we move on to the domestic violence side of this, we're going to have a quick little discussion about, as we said, the kind of changing attitudes towards domestic violence in Australia, which is a big issue. I just wanted to read a little excerpt from a letter that Alison wrote to Jared after she found out about the affair with Tony McHugh. So she wrote this letter to Jared over the course of a few weeks, I think, just little bits and pieces of her thoughts. Um, This is the very last part of the letter, which was unfinished at the time she died. There was no like from Alice and I think she was probably going to keep adding to it until, you yeah, know, she, to get all the things out. Yeah. Um, so the end part of the letter says, I believed I could trust you with everything and anything. And as I write this, the tears start flowing, which is an indication to me that this is definitely a key point for me. It really hurts me to think that I looked you straight in the eyes and asked you if you were having an affair and you lied to me. You didn't even blink an eye. You weren't and never will be the man I thought you were when I married you. I'm not crying, shut up. I'm not crying, shut up. Anyway, Jess, want to talk about domestic violence? <laughs> okay. Yep. Okay. So, um, in the aftermath of um Allison's death, the Dickey family set up the Allison Baden Clay foundation which there is a link to in the show notes if you would like to donate They're um still very active you can donate it has really great information on domestic violence in Australia which i will share some statistics that we will talk about um i also just wanted to say before we move on from that there was um the Korea mail which is iffy sometimes um but david murray who wrote the once again excellent book of the murder of alison Bain and clay um was working for the courier mail and reporting on her murder um the front page when the appeal, um, when the court of appeals uh, turned Jared's, uh, you know, overturned, ver- Jared overturned the conviction. verdict yeah. down to manslaughter, there was a full front page that was dedicated to Alison. There was a yellow ribbon and it was completely grey and it said this, Jared Baden-Clay cheated on his wife Alison, then killed her and dumped her body under a bridge. He immediately tried to claim her life insurance. During his murder trial he denied any involvement in her death but now the father of three could leave jail early after an appeal the court found um uh, after an appeal oh, that doesn't matter, um, and he, they found he did not murder his wife the law is an ass so the this case kind of reawakened i'd say australia wide to our problem of domestic violence there is an ins- like the statistic of the amount of or women, especially, that get murdered by their partners or hurt by their partners is fucked. So I got these first couple of statistics were from the Alison Baden-Clay Foundation website. Um, it says that one in five women over the age of 18 have been stalked. And what? I can tell you I've been one of those five. What? Yeah. I got stalked at work when I used to work for Kitten More. Oh, nasty. Yeah. It was really scary. That's horrible. Yeah, awful. Uh, One in five women experience sexual harassment. Um, Over one one year on average, one woman is killed a week by their partner. Domestic and family violence is the number one reason for homelessness in women. Indigenous girls and women are five times more likely to be hospitalized by domestic violence-related injuries. Can you fucking believe that. I cannot believe. So, the Australian Bureau of Statistics did a pers- they do a personal safety survey around every 4 years or so, so we'll be due for another one in 2020. Um so in 2012, there was 17,000 that were people that people were asked. So, 1 in 11 have been subject to violence by a partner since the age of 15. So that's 1 in 6 women and that's 1 in 11 men. So that's a really high statistic that's for very men high. that I thought that's very thought. high. Um, so domestic assault in New South Wales has risen from a rate of 257 people per 100, no, 257 per 100,000 people in 95, reaching a high of 400 incidents per 100,000 in 2014. So that's a 2% increase in five years. That's insane. Yeah. So then... This is I got this from the website the conversation so this was written on the 10th of November 2017 so the personal uh, personal safety survey in 2016 it said 16% of Australian women have experienced partner violence so they surveyed 21,000 people um so that's like 2.9% 2% uh 2.9% of women reported violence from a current partner okay so i um Very lucky. Apart from having a stalking incident at work, I have never suffered abuse from anybody. I'm lucky. And I didn't know the forms of abuse, basically, when it comes to domestic or family violence. So these are some forms of abuse that I found. So um, number one, creating a fear. So fear is a key element in domestic violence and is often the most powerful way a perpetrator controls his victim. So then you've got intimidation. So that includes smashing things, destroying possessions, putting a fist through the wall, handling of guns or other weapons, or using intimidating body language. And then you've got verbal abuse. Using words as a weapon to cause significant damage. This may include screaming, shouting, put downs, name calling, swearing, using sarcasm, or ridiculing uh, ridiculing someone for their religious beliefs or ethnic background. And verbal abuse is, um, verbal abuse may be a precursor to fam- uh, to physical violence. So then you get physical abuse, pushing, shoving, hitting, slapping, attempted strangulation, hair pulling, punching, and then you've got emotional abuse. Um, the behavior that deliberately undermines someone's confidence, leading them to believe that they're stupid or, for example, they're a bad mother or they're going crazy or they're insane, which... I think is prevalent in the Jared Baden-Clay case. Um, social abuse. So this um is isolating somebody. There's fireworks outside. There's fireworks going on outside. It's very this inappropriate. Is not cause celebration, okay?
0: Look, Serious. everybody's excited
1: about episode two of Murder in the Land of Oz, but we really didn't need but fireworks. We really didn't need fireworks, okay? Sorry, Zane, but like I think you're misusing mishandling the budget. We might have to have a chat. <laughs> the budget. <laughs> the Good one. Budget. <laughs> um so, isolating, so social abuse, isolating victims, um, preventing them from having contact with family or friends, or um, verbally abusing the victim in front of their family or friends. And then you've got financials. So, this is financial abuse is when somebody takes full control over the finances and spending and decisions. And I was talking to lawyer friend Britt from work who um, is about, she's going to graduate this year and she's got her graduate position as a lawyer, which is so exciting.
0: Congratulations, um,
1: Britt. Yeah. She's great. Um, and I was chatting to – I've been chatting to her about the Jared Baden Clay case that she studied a little bit at uni. And she was saying that one of her um, – like for the lack of a, like a professor or the one of the ladies that she studies under. A, a lecturer. A lecturer. That's it. Sorry, I haven't been to uni in a long time. Um, who is a practicing attorney. And um, when it comes to the financial sort of things, when um, – people are wanting to leave their relationships, they go and get money out rather than from like a bank or an ATM. They get it out from like Coles or Woolworths and like stash it up because then it just looks like a purchase from Woolworths. Cause that's incredibly how, clever. Yeah. So um, they like stash that money up for them to leave the relationship. Yeah. Obviously financial abuse, financial abuse is something that's only just kind of recently come into the, like the Mostly abuse because lexicon. The, yeah. yeah. Because of the technology age and yeah, exactly. stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. But it is, it is a form of abuse. You know, a huge barrier to women leaving
0: abusive money
1: is not being able to support themselves or any children that they may have. And so, hence that statistic about how many women become homeless because yeah. of their domestic situation. Um, yes. Yeah, so, yes, this type of abuse is often a contributing factor to people becoming trapped in violent relationships. And then, of course, um, sexual abuse. So any unwanted sexual behaviours, this includes forced sexual contact, rape, forcing them to perform sexual acts that cause pain or humiliation, forcing them to have sex with others or causing injury to sexual organs. Um, I feel like it's important to go through these, by the way. I just want... Oh, I agree. Um, I think I'm this sorry is part of the issue one, is that because we you you, know you, some people don't know. You don't that know. They're being abused in some exactly and if you're listening to this and being like whoa like oh i don't think that counts as abuse you know my partner does that and we're fine you're not fine Mm. definitely not um so then we're getting onto controlling behavior so that's dictating what the victim does who she sees talks to where they go like that constant like text messaging being like where are you what are you doing um you should be home So this can include them from going to work, not allowing them to express their own feelings or thoughts, um, to make decisions or allowing any privacy privacy and sometimes forcing people to go without food or water. Um, Then there's spiritual abuse, people that um, are ridiculing or putting down their partners because of their beliefs or their culture. Um, There's separation violence. So um, after the um, violence, the violent relationship has ended, the violence can continue, well, the violence sometimes does continue after the relationship is broken down. There was that awful story about that lady on the Gold Coast that was murdered by her ex-husband who was the train driver. Oh, it just killed me. It was so sad because she didn't know that he was out on bail. Oh, God. Just the bail issue is one that I hope we never get to because we would need 8,000 episodes yeah. to cover the – it's going to be a lot. Um, and then it gets to stalking. So um, this can happen either before or after the separation, loitering around places that they're known to frequent, watching or following, being making persistent phone calls and sending unwanted mail and cards. Um, stalking is a criminal offence. The thing about stalking, what I learned in my situation, it was very – I don't want to say that it wasn't a big deal because it was a big deal to me and I was really scared at the time, but – um, in comparison to a lot of other, um, people that have gone through it, it was not as, um, it was not, it was, wasn't as big deal as, um, some other people have gone through. That's all I want to say. Um, and it, it's really hard to go to the authorities on it. From my experience, I had someone who was coming in at work asking and intimidating, um, people that I work with for my phone number, making up stories that we were going to be catching up for lunch. He was a customer that I'd met like once previously and he went in over a series of days and then I saw him um like the following week or so and then I was working with a girl who I hadn't really worked with but she had been there on one of the shifts where he'd come in and you know repeatedly and pushingly asked for my number but she didn't have it um and she was really worried when he walked into the store and that I had a just like a normal reaction to a customer because I didn't know him. So she made me like stand behind the counter and then she let me know what had been going on. Um, And I was really scared. I was, and I was also very it's young. messed up. I, I want to say like, you know, don't minimize your experiences. No, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize my experience. I'm just saying that just because, you know, if somebody, lots of people have it a lot worse, but if you're scared or unsure oh, of I, anything, and I it's told serious. My, the thing is like, I also, I also catch public transport and I was scared that, He was going to be waiting for me outside of work. And then I was, if I was going home alone, if he was going to somehow like maneuver the situation where he was going to get into my building and I was really, really scared. So I told my parents about it and my parents were very supportive and my dad encouraged me to go to the authority. So that's what I did. I went and I spoke to the police and they were understanding, but there wasn't much that they could do because, he hadn't physically done anything to me yeah. but they gave me their number and luckily working in Brisbane CBD there are plenty of police beats around so if he had come back i could Somebody call be them there in 3 seconds flat yeah i could call them and but he never came back thank god thank god happy ending happy ending um anyway um so and then finally there's domestic homicide which is what we talked about with um Allison and Jared Baden-Clay i just want to say on that point uh it was kind of part of the case that it was stressed quite a few times mostly on the part of the defense that there was no quote-unquote domestic domestic violence violence between Allison and Jared and the reason that we're talking about this and talking about different forms of abuse is just because he never hit her doesn't doesn't mean mean that he he wasn't abuse her her. She is a victim of domestic violence and Allison's cousin who was working with domestic violence victims often remarked that she thought jared was abusive to her yeah she 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 was the one who as soon as she went missing her first contacted crime stoppers jared jared did it and contacted crime stoppers yes um so i just wanted to go through a few more statistics that i found that um really scared me um so one in four women, one in four Australian women have experienced emotional abuse by a current or former partner, which, you know, going through those levels of abuse, that's not really surprising, especially emotional abuse, because some people think that it's okay to say things and do things and it's, yeah, it's not. And if someone's doing any of the, any of those things that we just listed, please, we'll, we'll give you some numbers to call because it, just talk to somebody about it. Um. Also, I, I, I feel like there's going to be some people that are going to go, men suffer domestic violence too. Yes, they yes, do. Yes, of course they do. They do. But women are five times more likely than men to require medical attention or hospitalization as a result of an intimate partner violence and are five times more likely to report fearing for their, fearing for their lives. Of those women who experience violence, more than half of them have children in their care. Violence against women is not limited to the home or to intimate relationships. Every year in Australia, over 300,000 women experience violence, often sexual violence, from someone other than a partner. Jeez. Eight out of ten women aged 18 to 24 were harassed on the street in the past year. Have you been harassed on the street in the past year, Jess? Most definitely, have you? I was harassed on the street two days ago. What did they do? Just the usual yelling. Me and in my incredibly baggy work uniform—not really the picture right. of, you know, seduction—but people, people be yelling. A guy on my bus actually would not leave me alone the other day, trying to get me to come out for a drink Guys, with it's him. Not after, okay, he was like fifty-seven. I was like, come on, man! He was really freaking me out. But I was on a Logan bus, so everybody was a bit crazy. Um, but that's in the week and past week to two harassment incidents, and like you know. Obviously I didn't think that I was gonna get murdered at any of those points in time, but, but it's still it's it's a, a cultural issue. It's Ugh. <sighs> okay. So also another really th- important thing that I wanted to talk about because um there's growing evidence that women with disabilities are more ex- are more likely to experience violence. Yes. <sighs> I don't wanna cry. I just I <sighs> I think the thing that makes women more likely to suffer from violence of any kind is that we're vulnerable and then I think about the people that either can't talk, can't speak, can't, can't walk, yeah. can't fend for themselves and there are these fuckwits, men and women, yeah, taking advantage of people because they're vulnerable. You go to a special... Special different you kind a of hell. You get a special spot of hell. You get, a, you get a real shitty version of hell if you take advantage of anybody in general, but the even worse hell if it's somebody who can't fend for themselves. And I'm not even going to get onto elder abuse because that makes me laugh. Like... Oh, that will make me cry. Those ads that are on the backs oh. of toilets these days, I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to pee, not think about the terrible, terrible things that people will do to their
0: grandmas. Mm.
1: Um, another important thing that we should talk about is um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women experience both far higher rates and more severe forms of violence compared to other women and I feel like would be less likely to report. Exactly. Because, because of prejudice from white exactly, people. Exactly. <laughs> because if you are part of a minority who is constantly over you know, victimize and over by the police, who are you going to call when you are in a situation where you need that help? You can't call the police. No. The police would be just as likely to victimize you as the, you know, person you're trying to complain against. So, but it's good to be having these conversations it's and it's good that, you important. know. Um, so something else, the combined health administration and social welfare costs of violence against women have been estimated to be $21.7 billion a year.
0: Billion with dollars with a B
1: suggest that if no further action is taken to prevent violence against women, costs will accumulate to three hundred and twenty three point four billion over a thirty year period from twenty fourteen to twenty fifteen to twenty forty-four to twenty forty-five. <laughs> so that's total costs of women. Healthcare being police and hospital and police and, and guys, don't abuse each other and save some money. Okay. So chances are someone you know your neighbour, your coworker, a friend, a sister, a brother, a cousin, that uh, they might be experiencing family violence. Um, here are some signs that you can register within yourselves. Um, they may have bruises or injuries that they frequent as accidents. Um, maybe their partner's a little bit more controlling than others. Um, they frequently cancel plans at the last minute or they're afraid of making their partner angry. Their partner ridicules them publicly or you sense a bit of validity in their comments. Um, their partner seems maybe a bit too over um, and they're watchful. Um, you notice changes in their behaviour or if there's children in the situation, children's behaviour. Um, sometimes you might feel like you shouldn't get involved because it's a personal matter and that you shouldn't say anything but if you feel like someone you know or love is in trouble please ask them um you know it's there from what we know from this case Allison had a lot of people that cared about her very very much but she felt that she was very private she was private woman and And felt that she had to kind of deal with everything by herself and keep it to herself. Don't keep anything to yourselves. No. Um, I'm lucky that I have Ellen and that I have a a few other friends that I can go to if, you know, things get really – like if things got really shit and I needed help, um, which I'm grateful for. So please make sure you surround yourselves with people other than partners in your life that if things got bad, you can go to them. Um, I just want to say like, there's, and I've experienced this thought in my head is that if the relationship was really that bad, why don't they leave? Um, you know, we've mentioned like the financial side of things, like that's a whole other kettle of fish that maybe they don't have enough money to be able to go out and get themselves an apartment where they can where they have to pay bond, where they have to worry about paying electricity or food or Maybe there's kids involved and then you have to get lawyers involved and divorce is expensive from what I've heard. Um, so just be mindful of that. And there's also emotional ties to partners. You know, you, you become attached to people and especially from the emotional abuse and like the manipulation, like it can be hard for people to leave these situations. Um I mean, it's never the victim's fault. No, it's never the victim's fault. Nobody is in a situation like that because they can't be bothered to seek out an alternative. Um, So if you know anyone, as I said before, that is um, in trouble and you feel like they need to speak to someone, recommend them that they go to a domestic violence support service. Also make sure that they're going to a doctor and maybe help them make a safety plan. Help them find a safe place. And if you see an assault in progress, please take action and please call the police. Um, And that was from helping uh, a lot of those points, like the five-step plan and the safety plan and everything, uh, were from helping the battered woman, a guide for family and friends. Um, Now, there is a small percentage of relationships where women use violence against and where they use violence or a pattern of, of abuse above On their partners. However, statistics uh, compiled from police reports, hospital accident and emergency departments, court data, domestic violence counseling services, and surveys suggest that these types of relationships are a minority. Research indicates that men experience the impact of domestic violence very differently than women. These studies support that men report they were not living in homes in an ongoing state of fear of the perpetrator men generally did not have prior experiences of violent relationships and men rarely experienced post-separation violence. So that was from the Scottish Crime Survey in 2000. I'm just going to put my fedora on for a second. Yep. And just say that an issue that I learned from my one semester of doing criminology back in my uni days which was last year. Um, Did I just say something wrong? No, you didn't say anything wrong. I just want to talk about crime statistics and that the issue with crime statistics is that they are based on what people report. Report. So there is a gap between reported statistics and actual numbers. So sometimes people can kind of estimate, like for example, if somebody says like, you know, if they, the number of people who say that they have perpetrated violence, you know, versus the number of people that say that they've, been a victim so you know it might some like five percent of people might say that they have perpetrated violence but 55 percent say that they've been a victim of violence so you've got a gap there men are a lot less likely to report definitely definitely it I I do think you know the point should be made that you know that that yes those statistics that I got were from crimes that were reported and it is a fact that men aren't aren't likely to report domestic violence. Exactly. And that's another social issue. If we haven't, if we have boys listening, men listening that it's not okay for you to get hit. No, it's not a joke. Cute thing. If your girlfriend or boyfriend shouldn't be slapping you you or, you know, pulling your hair or anything like that, just because she might be physically less strong than you are. doesn't mean that it's not abuse. It doesn't mean that it's not abuse. It definitely is. I'm just going to take my fedora off now. Thank you. Okay. So um the majority of my research that I got was from www.aph.gov.au um and I did get quite a bit from domesticviolence.com.au they have so much information so if there's anything I didn't clarify you want to argue with me about something feel free to send us an email we'll have links in the show notes um, as well and domestic yeah domesticviolence.com.au I also want to bring to light the new um uh, campaign that has been brought about by Allison's family and with Queensland government, and that is hashtag do something so um you probably will have seen the new t v ads. A friend of mine is actually in one of the ads. she's real good um that um if you see somebody and you you feel like there is a problem going on and you feel like you need to say something, please do please go and ask those people whether they're on, like if they're a neighbor that you haven't really spoken to or a coworker. If you're feeling uncomfortable about something and you want to make sure that they're okay, please do something. And the number um, if you need to report anything or if you need some help is 1-800-811-811. And that's all I have to say on domestic violence because I feel very sad. I also feel very sad. Um, I want to say congrats to us because we <laughs> – <laughs> We did a thing. Congratulations to us. Um, we talked about our first case, which is probably the hardest one we're going to cover for yes. our first series. Um, I want to say a massive thank you to David Murray for writing, once again, The Murder of Alison <laughs> It's I really can't stress how good this book it's, is, you guys. It's really good. It's really, really good. Um, I also wanna say um, a massive thank you to the YouTube channel called Aussie Criminals, who seem to have compiled so much news footage. And the blog? Yes. Oh my god. I wanna meet Compli- if you run com, we we'll or get a t-shirt it is, or something. Can you email me. Yeah, because I wanna be your pal. Absolutely unreal. Unreal, so much information on all kinds of Australian crimes. Um, I wanna say, um, Big shout-out to the initial constables that went and interviewed bed and clay That was um, Kieran Ash and Leah Drummond. Um, excellent police work. Um, I also want to say I don't think we mentioned him in the first episode when I listened back was Sharky Lang. Sharky Lang. Who yeah. um, was in charge of the search for Alison. I don't Amazing think man. I've ever seen like a more tender moment than him talking about Alison because he really cared about her uh, as if – you know, he was looking for his own daughter. Yeah. Um. I also just want to say, all hail Alicia Gates from Channel Nine, who yes. was doing the reporting. She was fantastic, absolutely unreal in unreal. her reporting. I think the thing that I've learned from this case, and we've been kind of researching about Alison for over a month, six weeks, kind of. Um. But had had her in her in our heads, yeah. for a really long time, is that you know. She was an amazing person and she has touched so many people just by existing on this earth. The, yep. the, um, that just unbelievable outpouring of emotion after her death. Like, you know, I feel like I've been, not to sound like a huge wanker, but I feel like I've been on a real big journey. Definitely. Reading her story, learning about her life, and I feel really grateful that I was able to learn about her. I'm really sorry that – Jared Baden Clay killed her? Is that a weird thing to say? No, it is. I think it is very, very odd. It's not odd. a weird thing. It's a bit odd, but she was amazing. And, you know, all the people that worked on the case who investigated her family, everything like that, you know, even if you just read the book by David Murray, again, really good book, you will, you'll know. She was yeah. a great person. She was And just- it's, I also I, – I didn't get to bring it up before when we were talking about the appeal, but Ian Drayton went to the appeal. Ian Drayton I'm went not to the appeal. I'm not to the appeal, I'm to the high court. Yes, her first – her ex fiance. Yeah. Thank you, Ian Drayton, for Thanks, being Drayton. nice to Alison until the end. Exactly. Um, I just want to say much respect to the entire Dickie family who have been raising Alison's children oh, since yeah. her death. Hashtag thoughts and prayers to those guys. Um, We – if by some rhyme or reason you ever listen to this, your daughter has touched our lives. And I say this as a daughter that I'm sorry that you don't get to have your mum because she sounded really cool. Oh, I'm such a wimp. Weird... Anyway, we're going to go yeah. weep. Thank you for listening to part two of The Murder of Alison Clay. <laughs> Um, If you want to email us, if you have any questions or anything about the case that you want us to clarify, you can murder us at... You can murder us? You can murder
0: us. (laughs) Please don't murder us. (laughs)
1: Please don't murder us. Please don't murder us. You can can email us. Email is the word that I wanted to use. Yeah. At murderinthelandofoz at gmail.com. You can find us on uh, Facebook at Mitlu Podcast and you can also find us on... Instagram at Murder in the Land of Oz. Um, we will be posting some photos to go along with the case of Alison Baden and Clay. Um, obviously, with the first episode, there will be some photos posted. But the, with this appeal, I want to get some cute photos of... Um, maybe just like some bunnies or like cats maybe. frolicking or something just to cheer us all up because we're all miserable yeah, right now. I'm really upset. But um, as Ellen said, it has been a, not a pleasure reading about Allison's death but it has been a pleasure to read about Allison's life and Absolutely. it's been a it's been a really I'm glad we 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 picked Allison first because I really wanted to talk about her and I wanted to give her the the time and I'm glad we've done that. Amen. So, so we'll see you in a fortnight for our next one. Which who's it gonna be about Ellen? It's gonna be about Bronya Armstrong. Who's that? She's a, another <laughs> wonderful woman who had her life tragically Too cut short, short by, by a, a monster. Man. Yeah. So we'll by see you monster. in a fortnight for that cheery tale. Thank you so much for joining us. Give us a like and a subscribe and we'll see you later. Goodbye. I'm going to go cry now. <laughs> <laughs>